I'm Robin. And I'm Wayne. We're investors at VMG Partners, and we help build iconic consumer brands. Every day, some of the world's most fascinating founders share their stories with us before they've made it. Their highs and lows. Mistakes and triumphs. But always extraordinary results. And now we're sharing these stories with you. This is Unfinished Biz. We want to be the primary source of food at home for, for the ethnic communities in North America. On this episode of Unfinished Biz, we're joined by Larry Liu, founder and CEO of We, a fast-growing ethnic e-grocer delivering fresh groceries to customers in the U.S. We's products include meats, snacks, beverages, health and beauty tools, even household essentials. And as Larry will tell us, We's business more or less created itself based on demand. But scaling quickly isn't easy, and soon enough, Larry found himself rethinking his business model. I discussed with my wife, we thought this new direction made a lot of sense. So we we sold a house and uh, just to put more money into the business. Find out how we serves its communities across the U.S., why Larry believes the next big wave of retail is yet to come, and what he sees as the next phase for the ethnic e-grocer. Unfinished Biz starts now. Hey, Wayne, we're about to hear this incredible story about We, which is a service that actually delivers authentic ethnic food to folks. I think this one um, was the one my mom was most excited about when she heard we were speaking to the founder of We. Same here. This one, this, this one made us famous. For her, it's it finally replaced having to go down to like the Chinese supermarket and be able to just have it all to her house at great prices. And and for her, she loves variety and selection. She's like, there's so many more things than going to the Chinese supermarket. You know what this is going to do? There's going to be an entire generation of little Chinese kids who are going to miss out on going to that, you know, Ranch 99 and seeing all that sort of food that they're not used to seeing, like that that we had to do. That's just not going to happen anymore. And what folks are going to hear in terms of how it started was based on WeChat which as you know, Robin is like core in the Chinese and particularly the Chinese immigrant community on how how folks communicate with each other, including like what the next big deal is or where to go buy some interesting type of food because food is so centric in the Chinese culture. Absolutely. Well, Larry joined us from his home base in the Bay Area to walk us through the incredible story of We. I was actually born and raised in China. I came to the U.S. Uh, in 2003 after I graduated from uh, engineering school and worked for Intel for a year in Shanghai. So Intel relocated me to the U.S. The first uh, entrepreneurial journey I started was um, be- be- becoming an eBay seller. So ever since I came to the U.S., I started to sell on eBay. And then my strategy was very simple. I spotted the deals in stores or online. And uh, I would buy those, you know, deeply discounted products, for example, uh, electronics, digital cameras, and I would resold them on eBay for a profit. What year was this? That was 2003. Oh, nice. So what what era of like a digital camera? Are we talking like the Canon, like the little Canon silver cameras or... Yeah, absolutely. Even even before that, um, I remember selling a lot of the uh, the point and shoots cameras in a in a hundred to two hundred dollar range. Sold um, the iPod Mini when 
when <laughs> Apple slashed the price from 250 to 200, I bought a bunch of those and uh, yeah, sold those, make, make a profit. Wow. Sold a lot of uh, Nintendo Wii. For some time, it was very hot, right? Hard to spot. So I would I would buy a lot of those from stores and sold them on eBay. So Larry, how, how, how did you know when something was deeply discounted? I'm just curious. Like, how did you know that this was a good buy? Well, I was pretty sensitive to the prices, and uh, I I just searched on eBay to see what what's the what's the price at that time, and and also sometimes I would assemble some kits. For example, I would buy digital cameras together with memory stick, together with you know a camera bag and a mini tripod, and to to assemble the kit um, to so so it's easier for me to charge a little bit more. Got it. But how, how'd you go from working at Intel to becoming like, what came, how'd you come with the idea to become an eBay seller? Uh, actually, when I was in China, um, I already sold online, um, but it was a, a company called EachNet. It's kind of a copycat of eBay in China. So I, I kind of started that when I was in China. Um, so it was naturally a choice to sell on eBay when I, when I landed here. And I felt that everything was a lot cheaper. I remember the first thing I sold on eBay was a, was a Jansport backpack I bought from Costco. <laughs> and I sold on eBay for, for twice the price. So how long, did you, how long were you focused on being an eBay seller? It was a hobby uh, for a very long time, uh, more than 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, I Yeah, I quickly became the one of the top sellers in the Sacramento area, according to eBay, <laughs> they sent me a plaque. Wow. Um, you still have it? I, I probably lost it. Oh, <laughs> I haven't no. seen it for a while. So, so actually a few years into it, I realized what I was doing uh, on eBay was basically selling information because I didn't have, uh, you know, really the supply chain advantage, right? So I was selling information. So I, I figured I could probably automate what I, what I did. So the idea is to, to write some scripts to scrape websites like Amazon and Walmart. And for every item uh, from Amazon, I would compare price between Amazon and eBay. If the eBay price is 20% or more higher than Amazon price, then my script would automatically list the product on eBay. Uh, and, and if it's sold on eBay, then my script go to Amazon, automatically place an order and drop ship to my eBay customer. So that way it's a risk-free arbitrage. So there basically would be, you would buy something on, if, if you were selling it, someone would be buying something on eBay and then actually getting a product in an Amazon package? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a... Uh, you know, I, I learned Python uh, from scratch to, to do that. So I, I got the basic structure uh, set up. It, it's working. Then I um, recruited a couple of my friends who were much better software engineers than me to, to make the programs run better. And the three of us later became the co-founders of We. Um, but the eBay journey was fun. You know, we were able to do about $2 million a year um, sales and uh, and more than 10% net profit. Oh, wow. wow. And how long did you do it for and what, what led you to stop? 
Well, I don't, I don't even know if you stopped. Maybe, maybe that's still a side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> so we started in January of 2012 and uh, we stopped three years later because we found this better opportunity, which is we, that's our eBay journey. Well, tell us more about, so, so why we, what is it? What gave you the inspiration to start it? Yeah, so we today is is the largest ethnic e-grocer in, in America. So we we have operations coast to coast. No matter where you live in the country, you can buy from us. We're specialized in Asian and Hispanic products. And um, our goal is to become the primary source of food at home for, for the ethnic communities in this country. So how we started was actually... Um, we were inspired by the group buys uh, people did in WeChat. Let me explain to you what that means. So if you know, uh, WeChat is, is one of the leading messaging apps in the world. So it was created, I think, in the 2013, 2014 timeframe and became really popular in the U.S. among the Chinese immigrants in 2014, 2015. So at that time, I was... I was uh, added to a lot of WeChat groups by my friends on WeChat. And one type of WeChat groups really caught my attention because people were buying things together in those groups. So um, they, they were called group buy groups. For example, I was in this uh, local group. Uh, one day a, a mom shared some information in the group. She said she bought some super fresh Pacific black cod from a fisherman at Half Moon Bay. It was the most delicious fish she had ever had in the U.S. And she said she talked to the fisherman. If we want to buy together, he can actually go out and catch the fish and deliver to our local community. Overnight, she collected orders over ten thousand dollars. Wow! Wow! And, that's, um, that's a lot of cod. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, hundreds of people signed up. Right. A, a week later, the fisherman went out, caught the fish and clean them up and uh, put the fish into those 140 quart white coolers with ice. She drove to our neighborhood. There was a huge line in front of the mom's garage <laughs> and uh, people just line up and pay cash to the fishermen and to, to buy the fish. And once they, go, they got home, they cooked and the whole WeChat group just exploded, right? Because people were so happy they they all said it's the best fish they have ha they have ever had, and they posted pictures and recipes, and everyone who didn't buy the fish wanted to buy now, <laughs> and people who bought the fish wanted to do it again. So that was super interesting to me, uh, very intriguing because uh, the e-commerce I knew about before this was all about search, right? It's a search-based model. You have to know exactly what you want. Then you go to a very, uh, very credible website like Amazon and eBay, and you search, then you buy. So in this case, I described to you this group buy case. There was no like search at all. People, most people who bought the fish did not even know the fish existed. And um, if you think from the organizer perspective, she had no technology. She had no customer acquisition cost. People trusted her, um, so they trusted her recommendation. Did right? she take margin on the fish? No, no, not in this case, not in this case. But later, the evolution of group buys is that people who organize a group buy started to take some 
some commission. But at that time, that was not the case. Yeah, so I thought that I, I was really so intrigued that I thought that could be the next big thing in e-commerce, uh, much bigger than my eBay arbitrage business. <laughs> Larry, I, I don't actually know if I know this. Did, did you actually end up buying a fish? I did. I did. <laughs> Nice. It is delicious. It's <laughs> really good. So tell us about this. Was that the first iteration of we was 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 group group buying? Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah. So so we saw this happening not in that one group. We saw this happening in many different groups across the nation. So I also got lucky that I got my green card eventually after 11 years arriving at this country. So, uh, so that's, that's why I quit my job. I thought this could be a big thing. So our initial model was to make the group buy experience better. There were a lot of pain points in the group buy experience. So we wanted to create a platform to help the organizers to, to, to solve their pain points. For example, help them to create a web page. They can create a web page themselves and add products and uh, help them collect payment help them to get more vendors to sell to them because these group leaders, they need, they need the products. At that time, was it, was it all food or were we talking about lots of different things? Mostly food, um, but people also did group buy on, on many different things. For example, uh, Yamaha pianos. Oh, that, that's, and, um, that's, a, even, uh, that's a winner for uh, any Chinese family right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even even minivans, uh, like Honda minivans, yeah, un- unconventional things. <laughs> was it already uh, a certain ethnicity focused, or was this? Oh, at that time it was all Chinese people, um, Chinese migrants, because that's that's you know WeChat was um, at that time was mostly used by Chinese immigrants. So yes, that that was our first model to make group buys better. We grew actually very fast because we. If we acquire some group leaders, uh, attract some group leaders to use us, they each brought in hundreds of users. So we were able to attract hundreds and hundreds of group leaders, and we were able to raise $10 million seed uh, and the Series A fund. You know, that model, we run it for about two years. Then we run into some difficulties. We, we felt that it's increasingly difficult to uh, attract group leaders. So the growth really slowed down in early 2017. So I was trying to raise money in the US. I couldn't do that. Nobody um, invested. I I thought I would try my luck in China. Again, nobody invested. On a rainy day, I got really unlucky and uh, slipped and hit my back on the stairs and broke three bones around my spine. So I had to be flown back to my hometown and uh, lay in bed for a month, couldn't move. So that was a really dark moment of my life. What did you do from there? Like, so you you couldn't raise capital, you you hurt, you, you got injured. While you were injured, did you have an, uh, an epiphany on the next iteration of we? Yeah, I guess uh, I needed that, right? I needed the, the, <laughs> the, the time to, to really think because I, I thought I had this really good thing going, but why it didn't evolve as we expected. So I thought really hard about that. And I realized we focused uh, on the wrong group of people, right? We tried to make group buys better. However, we should have focused on the end user 
what's the what's the needs for the end users? Why why group buys even existed, right? Then we realized, you know, the group buys existed because the fundamental reason is people's need easy and affordable access to the food they love, right? Most people, most of the group buys was about food, and people didn't have that. And the group buy was not a good solution. Imagine I had to drive to my neighbor's garage to buy the fish. And I still had to drive to the Chinese supermarket like 40 minutes away to buy bok choy and tofu and soy sauce. And I had to drive to Costco to buy my other things, mainstream products. So group buys didn't really fundamentally make people's life easier. The right problem to solve is really to give people easy, affordable access to the food they love. So we not only should give people the exciting products that are hard to find, we should also give them the staple products. So it's a one-stop shopping experience. So they don't have to drive to multiple places to do the grocery shopping. And we figured we should deliver the products to people's home rather than asking them to pick up from their, their, their neighbor's garage. So that was the whole thinking. And I, I also read a lot of books at that time. I read about you know Sam Walton's Made in America. I read about the 7-Eleven story, the Ikea story. Uh, the Muji story, so a lot of retail stories and how they started and how they th- how they thought about the business. So how do you how do you pivot to that? Then you're then you're becoming a an e-tailer with inventory and many SKUs and you said delivered. So versus picking up at somebody's house, like what did you do? And how do you and how did you pay for it? Um, we had a small warehouse. We had a little bit of experience about warehouse operations and delivery uh, because many suppliers did not want to sell to the group leaders. So we had to, in the, in the, past, in the previous two years, we had to become the middleman. So, so some of the suppliers actually sold to us, then we sold to the group leaders and we delivered some products to the group leaders' houses. So we had a little bit, a very small warehouse operation and delivery operation. So having thought about the new model, you know, I came back to the U.S. after I recovered. Obviously, nobody would believe believe in this new direction, um, not even our existing investors. I discussed with my wife. We thought this new direction made a lot of sense. So we, we sold a house and uh, just to put more money into the business. So with that, a little bit of capital, our goal is to prove that the new model works, right? Actually, the following 18 months was, was very, very difficult. Um, we had a layoff of like 45% of the employees. And because we didn't really know how to do warehouse and the deliveries, we had to like really learn about that. For extended period of time, I was working in a warehouse pretty much every morning and uh, delivered packages uh, pretty much every afternoon and, uh, and uh, did CEO job at night. And uh, I remember many days, at 11 p.m., 11 a.m., I would come to the office and say, hey, everybody drop whatever you are doing. Let's go to the warehouse to pick orders together. Love it. So it's, uh, it's a very rough uh, period. However, um, the business started to grow because the direction was correct, right? And we, we were able to really articulate our, our value proposition, uh, which is to offer the exciting products and staple products at price lower than brick and mortar store. 
and we deliver to your home for free, right? And uh, we use one sentence to describe we at that time, which is we want to be the primary source of groceries for Asians in North America. At that, that's at that time. We have since expanded that to we want to be the primary source of food at home for for the ethnic communities in North America. So, Larry, one quick question. I mean, this is you're taking us through this journey of you're you're recuperating, you're reading, you're coming up with your own level of conviction, and then you actually bet a lot to actually move forward. At what point did you kind of figure out that? this was going to pay off, that there was something that this could actually be successful. Was it, was there sort of a specific moment in time or some event that you remember where you're like, wait a second, I, I might be getting through this. I think we, the, the, the good thing about this, uh, the, the period after the pivot was that the business just never stopped growing. We were growing like months after months after months, every month we were growing so our confidence became stronger and stronger and stronger. I think it took really the next fundraise to, to make us realize that we are probably out of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a, it's a process. It's a process. The, the conviction just became stronger and stronger and stronger as the business grew. And as you navigate that complexity, like when did you know that you could expand beyond the local, the local kind of Bay area. Like what, when did you know that the, that the company was ready? So uh, at the end of 2018, um, we were able to grow the business about five X from the pivot, right? So it took us 18 months to grow the business five X. So we were able to attract fresh capital at that time. We raised $5 million. Uh, it's like, uh, we call it a series A, A plus. So <laughs> like after we raised that capital, we, we launched Seattle as our second city because we knew that our model uh, was working in the Bay area. So we launched Seattle to, to, to further prove that, that the model is not just for one city and it can be, can be rolled out nationwide. A, why Seattle? Two, how do you drive awareness in a city that, you know, they, they may not know what we is? And three, what were some of your learnings in the first your first market outside of the Bay Area? So why Seattle? Um, we are all engineers by, by training. So we, we want to be methodical, right? So, so the second city, we want to isolate the variables as, as much as we can. So Seattle is um, similar in the Bay Area that, you know, the population is, is generally more wealthy and they are quite underserved. The, 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 the Chinese Americans are quite underserved. The Chinese supermarkets are not abundant, are pretty hard to find in Seattle. So yeah, we want to isolate as, as many variables as possible. And also we found some really good uh, entrepreneurs or people with entrepreneurial spirits in Seattle. And um, uh, we were able to recruit a, a, a pretty strong team there. So those are the reasons. And what did you learn when you opened up your first market? Like what were some of the unanticipated kind of challenges that were different that, that you couldn't have foreseen until you left the Bay Area? So the, the, the first problem was supply chain. In the Bay Area, we didn't have to worry about how to get the products 
over to other cities, right? So after we opened Seattle, we had to deal with supply chain. How do we ship products to Seattle? And like you said, you know, we have to build our reputation, acquire customers in the, in a brand new region. Um, so how how could we do that? How could we attract the users and really leverage the word of mouth for our customer to spread the words for us? And uh, yeah, we were able to overcome all those hurdles. So so Seattle actually grew quite fast, uh, a lot faster than Bay Area in in, in the beginning. What led to the next to to another phase of become of a goal of being the largest eth- ethnic grocer. Like, how did you get the confidence to to move on to to other types of cultures and food and ethnicities? Yeah, so that happened later. So after Seattle, um, by the end of 2019, we we were able to raise uh, our Series B round of financing. So with Series B done, we launched LA as our third city and then COVID hit. So when COVID hit, um, the whole just demand just became overwhelming. Um, the good thing for us is we already built the, the, the playbook, we already built a culture. So we were not overwhelmed by the demand. Uh, we were able to grow the business. So, so, so in 2020, we launched multiple cities. We we went to New Jersey, we went to Houston, in addition to LA, and we were able to uh, grow revenue uh, five times comparing to 2019. And also during 2020, we saw a lot of actually non-Chinese customers started to use we, and we listened to them and they told me, told us exactly the same thing. For example, Vietnamese, you know, Koreans, Mexicans, same thing. They had to shop at different places and it was quite inconvenient. And um, they all wanted to have easy, affordable access to the food they love. So it's very natural for us to extend our playbook from the Chinese Americans to other non-Asian groups and to Hispanic communities. And how did you make that decision of which sort of what's the next cuisine to kind of move on to? Because you've kind of walked through geography, but in terms of cuisine, what's the thinking there? Yeah, for us, we actually did uh, seven different ethnic groups together. Um, So we launched what we call multi-ethnic storefront this May, May of this year. Um, So we, we have each team responsible for each of the ethnic group. And we hire people from from the the ethnicity to run that because they are the ones who really know the needs of their communities. To our delight, we achieved multiple success um, among the ethnic groups. Some grew faster than others, but it really gave us the whole last few months, gave us the conviction that the fundamental problem is the same. You know, what's interesting is I know we can go a lot of different places with this, but I can also see it's a fast growing business. It's a complicated business. And you actually also just mentioned that you're hiring from sort of different ethnic groups too, because you want them to actually fully understand um, what the consumer is looking for. So that in my mind, at least presents 
some interesting management questions because you've got people with very different backgrounds trying to do probably similar things. Can you talk a little bit about sort of like, how do you lead that? How do you, how do you set, how do you actually get everybody to be sort of doing the same thing, caring about the same things um, in that type of environment? It's interesting. Yeah. It's, you know, you would be surprised how, how proud people are working for uh, solving the problems for their, their own communities. Mm -hmm. Right. So people have been feeling the, the pains and there was no good solution. So, so we, we, we were able to hire the team and they, they were just very, very proud of um, what we're doing. So, so, so most people who join our company really believe in our, our mission, right? We, we want to give uh, easy, affordable access of the food um, people love, you know, to the ethnic communities. And we also articulate our mission statement, which is we help people celebrate life through food. So I think people can identify with that and, uh, and are inspired. I, I told every employee in this company, I said, we is going to be the most diverse company probably in the, on the planet. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we already have so many ethnicities. <laughs> most people in our company speaks at least two languages. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, that's the kind of culture we want to build. Right after the break, we'll be back with our featured guest, founder and CEO of We, Larry Liu. Unfinished Biz is a BMG Partners production. Find us wherever you get your podcasts and catch up on more than 50 past episodes on unfinishedbiz.com. Follow us on our Unfinished Biz LinkedIn page for news and updates. And if you love our show, we love iTunes reviews. But now let's get back to our conversation with We, founder and CEO, Larry Liu. You've already kind of mentioned a little bit of this, but is there a signature bet the company moment where you put everything on the line to actually kind of, you know, see your dream through? Yeah, I think the 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 pivot was certainly such a moment. There was another such a moment. It was in um, 2018. At that time, our growth was was good, but it was not amazing, right? The, the growth could be faster. And um, if we could grow faster, it would be a lot easier for us to attract new capital. So at that time, you know, I, I there's this company in China, uh, it's called Pinduoduo. It's an amazing company. They grew the business from zero to $30 billion valuation in three years. <laughs> <laughs> so their model was to, to build social sharing into the into the purchasing process right in order to buy anything from that company you have to invite a couple of your friends to buy together with you so that was a highly viral model and after you know i read their s1 i got inspired and um i said hey why why can't we do the same thing here in the u.s obviously there were quite difference uh, between China and US. In China, the, the logistic cost was very low. Here, very uh, expensive. So we actually tweaked the, the, the Pinduoduo way of doing things. We created a very um, viral feature. We call it order share feature. So basically give us, give our users incentives to share their orders with their friends and family. 
if their friends and family click their link, they can get a coupon. And in return, people who share the order can get some money back. Hmm. Right. It's kind of a, a, a way to incentivize our users to share their orders. Yep. So that was a risky move because we had to give people incentive to share. And we didn't have money <laughs> at that time. <laughs> so if this feature worked, right? Yeah. We 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 would attract a lot of new users. That's great. But it could backfire by you know quickly consuming the 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 very small amount of money we have we had at that time. Um so I would say that that was also a bad accompany Incent- moment. Incentives cost money and you didn't um, have money. And it worked. Our <laughs> new users, our new users tripled within two weeks after we released the feature. Oh wow. Um and then it caught a lot of attention uh from from investors for a period of time. If if you were like in the Bay Area, if you use WeChat, right, you you would see on the WeChat moment, like people were sharing their orders very actively. You know, that sounds like a high point. And, you know, that goes to our next next portion of the, the questions, which is what's what's the high point of your journey to date at We? Um, I would say, you know, we, we raised our Series D round of financing earlier earlier this year um, and became a, a, a unicorn. Congratulations. So, so that was... Um, yeah, that was a, a, I guess, a milestone for us. And we're excited about it too, as your investors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, I was, I was really uh, flattered by, by, by you guys. You know, Robin and and uh, and Carl. Before COVID, you guys had the conviction to, to really invest in us. Uh, I think that that was that was amazing. Well, I mean, you told me the story about the Yamaha piano, so I was sold. <laughs> I, I, I knew you were a winner there. It wasn't the mini the minivans. <laughs> the minivans are hard. Minivans are hard. Well, every every high point has a low point, you know. And then you mentioned it's a journey. What's been the low point of your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, the lowest point was definitely my um, my injury in China and um, company running out of money, and I didn't really know what to do. So that was that was the lowest point. Well. I mean, obviously the business has evolved a lot at, at, at this point. What's keeping you up at night now? So what at hand is to me is a really a once a lifetime opportunity. I see, I can't imagine the food industry is going to be like today, 10 years from now, right? I, 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 th- I see this mega trend that people's taste is is getting more and more diversified. So fewer and fewer people would be satisfied by a single brick and mortar store in terms of their food needs, right? So so the next winner in the food retail arena will arise in in the next 10 years for sure. I think um, we're on a good track and we at hand we have really this great thing going. So I'm constantly trying to figure out how we can um, attract the best talents to help us, how we can scale the business even faster so, so we don't miss the opportunity 
and we can really create a once a generation uh, type of uh, you know business that we can all be proud of. Well, Wayne, you know, it's really interesting to hear Larry's origin story. He's absolutely a hustler. I mean, the fact that he was able to actually kind of come up with an idea to arbitrage eBay versus Amazon, that's not easy. It's pretty imaginative. I still want to find that system. I mean, I it's it's an amazing system where he, you know, where he automated, you know, arbitrage between the two sites. Love it. Love it. And, and it's no different than kind of how he started in terms of just being able to almost amplify interesting food or or other things that um, the Chinese immigrant community was interested in through WeChat and create this bulk buying. And I think like many businesses, you kind of hit an inflection point where you could only scale it so far. Yep. And then you have to find an inflection point. It I guess it turns out to be an inflection point where you got to figure out how to scale it. And most business, most businesses can't do it, but Larry successfully did in terms of transitioning his business into being a really a full-scale ethnic e-grocer that started in with Chinese food, um, which we got really excited about from a BMG perspective and ultimately invested in the business. You know, but it hasn't always been easy, right? And the fact that he actually had to go and lay off 45% of his team, the fact that, you know, people didn't really believe in the idea for months and he had to go back to China to actually go and try to round up some cash and then hurt his back. I mean, that story is, it's hard to be a founder. And obviously he's in a much, much better place today. We're really pumped that we uh, we were able to actually spend some time with him and hear about what he also does for fun, which unsurprisingly is, I guess he spends a lot of time on the internet. I, I, I enjoy reading. I used to run marathons. I, I don't run marathons anymore. I'm trying to get back into shape. And I, yeah, I, I enjoy watching uh, YouTube. <laughs> time for our... Our big game, Larry. It's the it's the rapid fire, um, very serious question. Let's see how many you get through in sixty seconds. Here, you ready? All right, let's go. All right. Do you have any funny nicknames? No. Well, what were you the last time you wore a costume for Halloween? This Halloween. What's the most used app on your phone? We. What sports team are you most loyal to? Warriors. What's your go-to karaoke song? It's a Chinese song. <laughs> <laughs> who inspires you? Sam Walton. What or who makes you laugh? Dave Chappelle. Nice. Love it. Do you have any hidden talents? No. <laughs> what's, the, <laughs> what's the last concert you went to? Uh, it was a Chinese artist. What's your favorite meal of the day? Dinner. What did you get detention for in school? If you did. Play video games. What's your preferred method of exercise? Running. Where in the world do you feel most at home? My home. <laughs> what is your, what's your go-to Starbucks order? Uh, latte with two raw sugars. Nice. That, was, that was great. That was great, Larry. I, I, that, that was a lot of so fun. So you can tell I'm incredibly boring. I'm no, no, that was amazing. I love that. No, I, 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 loved your, your, I, loved, I love your answers. Well, lastly, 
what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs? I think I'm too young to give advice. Um, so I would, I would, I would point um, entrepreneurs to to my to really the per, the person I admire, uh, who is Sam Walton. Um, he wrote a book called Made in America. It's a great book. I I I read the book probably once every six months. Always learn something new. So and in the book he gave entrepreneurs ten advices. Um, why don't you guys check it out? What, what? Oh, love it. <laughs> I like it. I like the homework assignment. That's great. I love it. Well, Larry, again, congrats on all of your success at, at we we're honored to, to be your partner here at VMG. And thanks for joining us on unfinished biz. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to unfinished biz. I'm Wayne and I'm Robin. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with another illustrious guest. Place your bets now on who it'll be. Ooh, exciting. These are the opinions of Robin and Wayne and our guest entrepreneur and are not necessarily the opinions and thoughts of VMG partners. And now a word from our lawyers. This is not an offer to buy or sell any investments. Entrepreneurs interviewed on this podcast may not be associated with VMG businesses and discussions of their companies should not be viewed as an endorsement by VMG.